0: Hello everyone, my name's Steph, I'm one of the pastors here, and um, we've um, opened up the Bible for the next little while, uh, that's part of the service. We are working through the book of Ephesians, and we're in the, we're in the middle chunk of this book, which is really about uh, the living out of the Christian life. So the little phrase we've come up with, well we didn't come up with it, we borrowed it off of another theologian about the book of Ephesians is that it's sit, walk, stand... Um, to describe the, the way the book works, and um, it's really the, the sit is speaking about the fact that the Christian life starts with us doing nothing, essentially sitting down, um, and it's all about God's activity for us in Jesus, which we'll be hearing about later. Second part of the book is given all that God has done for us in Jesus, how should we walk, how should we live? And then the final bit on standing is, is to do with Christian warfare last part of the, the book, we'll, we'll talk about that, that's a spiritual thing rather than a conventional warfare in case you're just here on a one-off and you're a bit concerned. Okay. Um, so um, so we're in the walk part, and we're looking at how the transformed lifestyle comes out of the transformed heart, so what does it really look like to, to live transformed? Now what you would have noticed, regardless of what religion you are currently in, or not at all, but all you've got to do is walk around waterstones or foils or anything like that and you'll realise that um, uh, changing your life is big business. Trying to become the you you always wanted to be is big business and that kind of thing. um, Self-help shelves are, are stacked with many, many books and ideas, some of it pretty common sense stuff. Others of it, pretty extreme um, stuff, but um, it's big business um, either way. And uh, I want to just maybe, before we look at today's particular passage, which is about a particular element of a transformed life, I want to ask the question, um, what is the Christian perspective on this, this whole idea of transformation, does it differ at all from um, the self-help stuff, is it the same stuff but just kind of different work, different terminology, in what way does it differ If if at all. Um, The first observation I want to make is that we are creatures of habit, all of us. Whether you're the kind of person who loves routine or the kind of person who loves every day to be different, there's probably, if someone were to observe your life, they would notice that you're a creature of habit. There are things that we just do. Maybe you've all got your favourite item of clothing, your favourite jumper that you just love to put on. You know you shouldn't wear it again, but you're going to wear it again. It's, it's that genre. You just love it. Or those shoes they they, they let in—they let in a little bit of water now, but you just love it. So you keep—you keep wearing them. You know, you know, or you know you've had those jeans on for one, two, three, four, five days too long. But you know what? These are my special jeans. Uh, that was just theory. There was nothing of truth. Uh, but we—we we have these little things that we get attached to, and they kind of become part of what we do. It could be favourite food or drink. It could be. You know, you're on your way to Costa, Starbucks or whatever cool one you go to, um, uh, and, and, and you, you know you should get a juice. Maybe one of those green ones. You know. But but you know you're going to order a caramel macchiato. Anyway. You know, because it's like, you know it's juice time. Your body's saying, telling you it's juice time. But every step closer you get. And then they see you and they know what you're going to have anyway because you already, you know, so it's caramel mafiato before you've even uh, crossed the threshold. Because it's what you get, it's your little cozy default. There are little things that we just cling to and enjoy and our little thing, whatever they are, and we we, we tend to get quite attached to certain little things that we like doing um, the same way. But these things are really about, they're about preference, they're not, it's not that right or wrong. So some, someone might say, "You've been wearing those jeans too long now. But actually, it's not about right or wrong. It's an issue of preference, really. It's not a moral issue. It's not about righteousness. It's not It's a different thing. Um, it's nothing to do with spirituality, either. It's, it's not a spiritual issue. It's just what you prefer, how you like going about life. Um, John Piper says it's, it's the difference between sin and just being strange. <laughs> yeah. It's all strange. You it, it, a, a really important part of having a healthy marriage is recognizing the difference between sin and strangeness in your spouse. And um, sin, you can pray into, and you can gently, over time, wisely try and speak into strangeness. Just got to put up with it, right? right. Who they are, and um, you can't make it a moral issue. But when it comes to issues of morality, light and darkness, righteousness and unrighteousness. This is a different situation. Now, interestingly, biblically, you cannot separate the issue of morals, right and wrong, from spirituality. It's really important to say that. Because in a lot of modern day, in spirituality, it has nothing to do with morality. Never the twain show me. There's no need for these two in the modern Western mind to come together. It's like you can have your spirituality, but actually... It, the ideal scenario for many people is that that will not impinge on the moral choices they make. So you can, you can have a transcendent experience of some sort, you can, you can get into some stuff that kind of feels transcendent and spiritual, but it but it's, that doesn't necessarily have the right to speak into the way you live. Whereas the thing about Christianity is that morality, right and wrong, light and darkness, are all wrapped up with spirituality, because God, by his nature, is a, is a moral God. He's a God who is faithful, a God who loves righteousness, a God who is very clear on things that are right and wrong. And he's the ultimate God is Spirit. Therefore, the ultimate authentic experience of spirituality has everything to say about your life. Not when it comes to whether you wear those jeans again or not, or whether you order a caramel macchiata, but to do with the decisions you make in terms of righteousness and righteousness and morality. That's just, the real, that's just the reality of it. Um, as a Christian, if you're going to become a Christian, you have to grapple with sexual ethics. You have to grapple with the reality of what God says about sex. You have to grapple with financial integrity. What do I do with the money that I have? It's part and parcel of Christian spirituality. You have to grapple with social justice issues. When we think about the fact that what I'm engaging in here is, is structurally unjust. You've got, you have to engage with that. Now, praise God, it's not a life of constant tormenting, analysing. It's not like that. But actually there's an issue of living before God with a clear conscience. Central to the Christian faith. So, so when we come to talk about our walk, these things really, really matter. So, I want to just outline, from a biblical perspective, how do how does transformation happen, and how is it different from self help? The first step in transformation is a completely supernatural move that God makes. It's, it's something that has got no equivalent in any other book you will read on the shelf in the world. It's a completely unique thing set apart from anything else a human can experience. This is the first step in transformation. It's where spiritually speaking, your eyes are opened, your ears are unstopped. Suddenly that faculty which we, the Bible says we are born and it's dead in us is brought to life by a work of the Holy Spirit and maybe suddenly, maybe gradually, but you get it now. You didn't get it, but now you get it. And for some people it's a moment, for others it's much more like a journey, but it's, it's, you, anyone who's experienced it can say, I was blind, but now I see. There, there, there is that. And there's different phrases I used in the Bible for it, like being born again, you're probably more familiar with that. A born-again Christian. There was only one kind of Christian: it's a born-again Christian. Jesus said, "No one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they experience that." So it's not like there were Christians and then they are born-again Christians. No, no, no. To be a Christian, to know the Lord Jesus, there has to have been that work of the Holy Spirit in your life, where your eyes have been opened. That is supernatural. And what happens is in that moment is that it's an amazing, vivid, crazy beliefs in the Bible, like your heart of stone is taken out and a heart of flesh is given to you. So it speaks about going from being hardened to certain things to being very soft to certain things. Or, or God says, I will write my laws in their heart. Suddenly, those things that God loves, the laws, if you like, the, the, the God's standards of righteousness, instead of being something outside of you that you think, oh, what a drag. When you're born again, they are written into your heart, and you want to do them. It's it's that powerful. And so you could describe it as your moral centre is changed. And suddenly you find yourself interested in things that you weren't before. And it's not just praying. Yes, you're interested in praying and you weren't before, but it's much broader than that. You're you're interested in issues of people's lives being put right. You're interested in restoration. You're interested in healing. You're interested in forgiveness and being cleansed from shame and guilt. You're you're interested in seeing life flourish and people come together. Something happens whereby your centre changes from being caught up with something Finite, something just created, whether that's yourself, whether that's your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, whether that's some kind of cool save the whale, whether it's a celebrity, whatever it might be that, that was your centre, suddenly you are re-centred onto the creator, onto the infinite one. And as a result, you are caught up into his heart for his creation and supernaturally you begin to carry him. That's what it's going about. Now, like I say, it can be very dramatic or very gradual, but that is the kind of transforming work that God does. It's huge. I mean it's cosmic, it's eternal. In fact the Bible goes as far as to say that what happens is is that the, the, the new creation that God is planning on, on forming, where the Bible says He's going to make a brand new heavens and a brand new earth, a brand new everything, that he actually begins that work in this age in our hearts. So something happens in our hearts that gets newer and newer and newer and even though while well, that's happening our bodies are getting older and older and older the time will come when we are given a brand new body that will fit this new work that's started in our hearts and that will be able to inhabit perfectly the new heavens and the new earth. Wow! I mean, this is, this is unique stuff. This is the Christian message. This is extraordinary. Um, the Bible uses the word super abounded. It's like it's, it's, it's excessive. It's like, wow, God... How has this happened? And the answer is, all of this was purchased for you at the cross. All of this, you can locate it all back to that moment where God himself took on our spiritual death. When God Himself took on the, the, the moral debt that we owe Him through our law breaking. When we haven't loved Him with all of our heart, mind and strength. where we've been adulterous in our hearts. where we've stolen, whether that's shoplifting or stolen His glory. That all of these things, Jesus in His body bore all of that in the cross. That we might die to all of that and live to Him and live for righteousness. You see? The cost purchased all that for us. So even though it's this amazing thing that is totally free and that we're invited into as a gift, we we come with this sense of awe because we know what it costs. So we don't come flippantly, you don't come, oh yeah, sure, I'll have a go at that. No, no, no. You can't just try this out. This is new creation. And it costs the beautiful, perfect Son of God, he's lifeline it down for us. So this is, we come trembling, but we come There's this mixture of, the Bible says, um, what is it? Um, serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling, and kiss the sun. And there's this passion, and there's this rejoicing, but there's this trembling, because we've been invited into the most awesome thing you could imagine. That is stage one of transformation. Once that has happened, there are basically three things, and we have both Three things that, 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 that how God then takes us on a journey of on us into the likeness of your son Jesus. Number one, Bible, the Bible. We, 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 we are introduced to this book, which, which is uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, where either through things like this Bible teaching or personal Bible reading, um, uh, listening to good biblical sermons online, whatever it might be, we are washed in truth. So we're kind of like, all the sludge and stuff we've picked up, all the strange ideas and values we've picked up over the years are washed out of our minds, and they're kind of cleansed with the truth of God's word. But that's the first thing, I'm just just saying I'm going to be committed to find out what does God say about life, what does he say about us, what does he say about me, what does he say about my neighbour, and just get cleansed in that. And and so you now you know, I, okay, now I know how to live in a way the truth of God, number one. And then number two, this one's really important, because all of these three things will lead to what the Bible calls the renewal of the mind, which the Bible says leads transformation. So we're transformed by the renewal of our mind. That involves three things. Number one, we learn the Bible. Number two, we do it. We put into practice what we learn. Oh, this is how God wants me to live, and to forgive those who have hurt me. Now, at this point, I can stall and say, you know what, I don't understand that. I've been really hurt. To actually forgive that person, it's is not happening. At that point, that, re- that, that transformation process, it, in, in a sense, you begin to stall. Because you're no longer embracing God's plan for your transformation. That's why Jesus is blessing you to do what I say. So I engage with it, and sometimes all my feelings are crying out, oh, this is too hard, this is too tiring, this is too taxing, but I know God wants me to do it. As I do it, what I find is, it's not just blessed in the sense that good things happen, but I find that, wow, I I am reformed by this action. Something in me changes by this action. And old ways of living and thinking, old pathways that were so powerful and trapped me, are, I've seen they're now being less used and the, the grass is growing back over them and new pathways are being formed in me that are will So it's the action, it's the, it's the doing of what I've learned and heard that actually helps to bring about this transformation. Now, you'll find books which talk about this kind of thing on those shelves involving all terms and, and it's really, I guess i uh, are using non-biblical language to explain biblical principles. God understands people better than anyone. That's why the Bible talks about apply the word, do it, do it, do it. God is all. And as we do this, we, are, we enter into, into this amazing phase of transformation where you say, even if it's a right I'm not sure if prayer works or not. well pray consistently for a year, then let's have the conversation. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously, just pray consistently for a year and then let's talk about whether prayer works or not. And let's not have the conversation if you're not praying. Yeah. Because it's like, right, well, it's just theory. Watch what God does. Watch how he answers prayer. Experience the dynamic of it. And watch what happens to you. Because you said to yourself, I used to really struggle, feel really weak in faith. I just got on this plane. and I feel like my faith muscles have gone boom in the last year. What's happened there? You've been transformed by putting into practice in God's word. That's the second thing. The so third thing is the company you The Bible says, um, bad company, corrupts good character. So in this book, Simplify, really, really good book. I mean, three quarters of the way through it. I feel like I can safely, um, what I recommended it when I was early on through it, because it was so good on revenues. This is a brilliant book, Bill Hybels. Simplify: 10 Practices to Uncutter Your Soul. And he, he says this, he says, stupid rubs off. That's his face stupid ross off he said so does wise so does good but if you're spending your whole time hanging around um, with people out of your volition at the expense with people who don't believe who are cynical um, just <laughs> doubters you spend your whole time doing that whatever you have in your character now the bible says we're in the world and we're to love and serve the world we're not withdrawing to withdraw into- and things, we're not to do that, but the Bible says if you put a really high priority on fellowship, on being around people where you can have encouraged constructive spiritual conversation, that will really, really help to enhance your character. So you've got an experience here, you have, you just meet someone, and maybe for the first time, or maybe you just, you've met them a of from before, but your conversation goes deeper, you talk, you're around the conversation, you come like, and yeah, and or I feel freshly stirred. I mean, I even had it. I met a friend uh, about a month or so ago who exclaimed to me about a conversation he had had with a really special, godly man. And as a result of hearing about that conversation, I came away hugely inspired. It was secondhand. I fellowshiped with this person via this person, and something in me was freshly stirred to see the presence of God. See yeah. that? I was different. A conversation on the DLR, you know, not very spiritual surroundings. Chatting on the DLR, I came away. I was different. It was stupid laptop and inspiring matter. Yeah. And so this is the process of biblical change. Take seriously what does God say. And then we, with a, not, with a, not with a testy heart, if you know what I mean, with a good heart, but we put it to test. We say, right, we And then we see, wow, not only is it fruitful, I'm changing. And then we prioritise being around those who are going to sharpen us. And we think, what's well, happening? <laughs> God's at work. These are, these are the, God does a supernatural work in the totally sovereign things, and amazing amazing, often used as perfectly in preaching and stuff, but you just know, wow, I've been changed, I am born again, I'm not who I was, I'm different now, I, I'm now interested in the things of God I wasn't before, but God's done something, and then there's this discipleship process that we embrace. and if we embrace it, we want to talk about so I wanted to share that, so I thought it was important, we don't often unpack it that clearly, I thought it was just so, so it's very, very, very important, um, so, today's passage, is a short passage, so don't worry. And I've done most of the sermons, time already, I'm aware of that. Um, Ephesians 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I'll read that again, that's, that's the whole passage for today. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Lord, I pray, help me to be faithful to this text. Amen. Um, it's Very straightforward. I Want to pull out some points, preach my heart out, and then and then uh, we apply it. Amen. Right. Let the let the thief no longer steal. The church is a place full of ex-offenders. Paul is writing to ex-offenders, particularly here thieves, but, but but it can be any any kind of offence. The church is a place full of ex offenders. So if you're sitting there thinking, this is a church full of the nicest, purest, sparkliest people I've ever met," I could never fit here. Are you an offender? Do you want to be an ex offender? You'll fit here. Alright? All of us are, all, well, we still offend now, so it only give the impression we, but in a sense, we're not what we were, those of us who were Christians. Praise Christ God. We're not what we were, but we're still in the process of being transformed. But that's what a church is, it's a community of offenders, ex-offenders. It's a bunch of people who have experienced forgiveness and grace through the cross of Jesus Christ. And the fact that Paul here writes to the church in Ephesus, is speaking to the thieves, or those who were thieves, shows this is what the church has always been like. And so if you're here, you might think, "I'm I'm a drunk You know, or you might think, I'm a a serial adulterer, or I think I can't even mention, I can't even say. Let me say to you, God's word will speak into your heart and your life, wherever you've been from, wherever you're in, and the power of the gospel will help you to walk out of that. Amen. Okay, and walk into some new stuff as well. It's more than just walking out of things, which is really important. You'll notice that in just a moment. Right, so we're going to pick up on stealing, first of all. Right, you're stealing, and you're Christian. stop. (laughs) Alright. Stop it. it. It's out of order. It's wrong. It's unrighteous. So, some of you can assume you know that. In case you didn't know, you need to know. It's unrighteous. Um, it does not look like the gospel. It, 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 whether it's tax returns, you just, you, you, subtle, you, know, subtle kind of thing. You might think, well, I'm not shocked this stuff. Alright, maybe you're fiddling your taxes. Okay? It's stealing. Stop it. Be, be resolute there's a center place in Christian life for making decisions in the power of the Holy Spirit. Once you make a choice, the Holy Spirit can empower you. If you make a kind of a choice, but you're still leaving the door open, the Holy Spirit can't empower that. The Holy Spirit will not empower that, because is a divided heart. But if you say, I'll make a decision before God, now give me power to live it out. Absolutely. But if, if you leave the door open, that's different. So first of all, you've got to say, I'm stopping this. Stop in this stealing. Whether you, whether you even, you just have stolen goods in your house. Get rid of them. If you're a Christian and you've got stolen goods in your house, get rid of them. Okay? Or whether it's, um, whether it's actually shoplifting. Um, you know, you actually you, 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 maybe it's a habitual thing and you need help out of that. Right. Explain this process where my dog can help you walk out of that. Okay? So this is choice. I'm not going to do anymore. Maybe it's what we call, some people call perks. It's the perks of a job. I work in a stationery factory. I help myself to some pens every now and then. Stop it. Stealing. Well, they're rich, they won't notice. Not the point. Stop it. Okay? Wrong. Unrighteous. If it it wasn't unrighteous, then you'd walk out of work holding them above your head. Am I right? But you don't. You stuff them into your bag. Why? Because it's wrong. Jesus releases us from hiding so that we can live out in the open, and our conscience can be clear. And you haven't got to spend your life asking, is there CCTV in this room? There probably is, anyway, you know. But this, this, you've got to stop this one, okay? So, um, it's, uh, stealing comes out of either just old habits, and you're part of a new creation now, so leave it alone, or it comes out of um, unbelief, you know, that sense of, well, I need it, God won't provide. Hey, hope oh, God will provide. God actually promises to take responsibility for you as you loving Heavenly Father. So there's some sort of awful mentality. I've always had to look after myself. It's how it's been from day one. Yeah, but it's different now. You're a new creation. You're in the family of God now. He cares about you. He actually wants to take responsibility for you. Not so that you just want to sit there, you know, we'll get into that in a minute, but so that you can, in an ultimate sense, say, Lord, I'm going to live righteously, trusting that where I now fall short because I'm being righteous, you are going to bless me. So you might saying, you know what, because I've been fiddling my taxes for years, I cannot survive now on, 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 on the kind of money I would get if I didn't fiddle them because I'm so used to that. Listen, that's an issue now. Trust and faith. Will you trust him to be faithful? You stop it. You say, I'm trusting See, yes. You work this stuff out, and then we um, then, then, then can see the real power of it. We can go, wow, God's real. Yeah, it so it's really important. Um, so, so, um, so, stop it, right? But don't just live in a vacuum. Paul goes on to say, um, rather let him labour doing honest work with his own hands. Those words there kind of implies get get into work with which you are engaged and which kind of honest graft. Get involved in an honest graft that you are engaged in, that you could be engaged with. So, the beauty of what God calls us to is that it's not living in a vacuum. I just stop stealing, just like, now what? Can I just say this, work is a really good thing. Work is not a result of the fall. Adam and Eve were about the work, and then they fell into sin, and now work is corrupted, now it's, it's more toilsome than it should have originally been, it's more stressful than it should have originally been, but essentially it's good. Good. You know, what I've been it? there's a kind of mentality, a background where it's kind of, get out work wherever you can, ring up and pretend to be sick wherever you can. That is old thinking. That is not, that is not good thinking at all. It is part of essentially who we are to be engaged and employed with fruitful things. It's good. I want us to understand that. You know, there's a little saying which is, the devil makes work for idle ones. A lot of the time when you're helping people pasture it, you find like, out, how did you get into this pickle? And you chase it back often you feel you realise they have too much time on their hands. Way too much time on your hands. And when you've got way too much time on your hands, you know what? You start doing stupid stuff. Oh my donkey stuff. I don't think so. Oh, what's this? Oh okay, so you go donkey do that. That takes you somewhere where you think, Oh, blazes changed a the now. But you know what, like, there's no no the hurry, and you start getting drawn in. And before you know it, you're, you're, you're looking at some dark stuff. You're looking at dark stuff, but actually the start of it was, you just a loose end. Because you were doing, like, I know something that you thought was really cool, which was having a nothing day. Actually, that's not, that's what the biblical idea of rest. The biblical idea of rest is that, that which you normally do, you take a break from. That doesn't mean you don't just sit there. You can engage your imagination and creativity with something very different from normal, so it refreshes your soul. But it's not just sitting there. Because if you your mind, you start going, it's, it's not a healthy place, it's not a healthy place to be. In fact, I will say it's busy is good. isn't, but busy is good. Let me just give you some little, so you understand what I'm saying. Number one, to have a, to be, to have a constant sense of being overwhelmed is not good. But to feel stretched is good, because when you get stretched, you grow. <laughs> to be physically ill because you're so busy is not good. <laughs> but to be tired at night is. <laughs> to look and go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> to keep letting people down because you're too darn busy. You don't plan for life with margin. You just you cram it. And it might work if nothing goes wrong. Mm. Foolish. frantic. You're going to let people down. You're going to constantly be off. Oh, 15 minutes. You've to that. Hour? Later? No. Not good. But to have something to talk about with other people and to invite them mm-hmm. into you. You're doing it right. Good. To have too much to actually focus on, too much to going on in your life, you can't actually focus on it at the moment, and you're literally singing. Not Not But to have enough to stimulate your imagination, it's good. See what I'm saying? This is good. Frantic's bad. Idol's bad. But to have stuff to do, praise God. That's what we're made for. It's a good thing. But even a higher purpose than working now in the gospel. See, see this is good creation stuff, but in the gospel it goes further. Paul doesn't say that him still, still no longer, rather let him labour doing honest work because he was made for that. He actually takes it further. He says, so that you've got something to share with people in need. This is like, well, whoa, this isn't That last stuff was good. But that's just creation stuff. This is gospel stuff now. This is where you know, now my life is shaped by the gospel where Jesus went the extra mile for me. But when I was lost and didn't care about him, he went to the cross for me. When I was a low, down, dirty thief, he took my thief's punishment. Whoa. And therefore, listen, like that. Now go to work. Why? Because it's good. Yeah, it's good. But more than that, you can have something to give. So now, pay rise, Christian, equals more to share. Motivation to work, more to give. Gospel, New Testament, gospel, motivation for work. But more to give now. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. So it's really important to take this seriously. Please don't be dismissive of this. Please don't subtly think naive idealism, but nod and say amen. Please don't do that. This is gospel realism. This is inexplicable life. This is transformed life. More, I'm, I can now, I'm now earning more so I can give more. I can share more to those. You are in need. particularly those in your household, those who are dependent on you, first. the Bible says, if you do not look after those who are in your own household, you are you're worse than someone who doesn't says they haven't got faith. You know, it's really serious stuff. Those who depend on you, number one. And then after that, the Bible says, be good to everyone, but especially the household of God. So, if a thing, so if you have a special commitment to one another. a family, a spiritual patient. If there's need among us, and mm-hmm. if have a church where there's a lot of money moving around secretly, but you've got a secret blessings. That's a healthy church. It's a healthy church. Where you're aware of one another's need and you just meet that humbly, modestly, but with the heart of Jesus. Just help them out. That's love, that's, love. that's Christian It's a good thing. I and mean, then, obviously, just generally, but anyone in need. That's what he says to anyone. He goes, if I'm learning a bit more, then if I see someone sitting outside McDonald's, it's easier to get them a big map when I give myself a big map as well. It's just, it's just, it's, I haven't got to stress out. Can I do this? I'm, you know, so I've got work and I've got a job. I can just more easily just be in the business. This is what Paul is saying here. Um, so that's really the verse. I preached it. There it is. It's not one of those verses where we're all going to sort of rise up to the third heaven as it (laughs) responds. You know what I mean? It's very practical, isn't it? It probably is a really healthy verse for us to just engage with this idea of what does it look like to do in the world. Remember? First stage, what the Bible says. Second stage, what does a choir look like? Now, I guess maybe just just, just take a moment as a chair, to scream, what? Oh God, what does it look like? So, some of you, maybe you're not working. But you really want to work, you just can't find one. So I would just say, let's just keep praying together about that. That's just hard. I've been unemployed Myself a couple of times. I know what it's like. It's not an easy season to walk through. Um, because you're just battling with trying to keep in your life. And it's just not easy. Um, but let's just keep praying. Maybe there's some other stuff you can do just to help your own spirit. Really, you may not earn anything from it, but it would just be good. But just, we want to engage with you in that. Don't worry, pretend that's not real good. I know there'll be numbers of us among us here who are just out of work. I don't know what to do right now. Just keep bringing that before God, so or will provide something that, that, that works. It could be that you're not working, but been, you're not working you're working, but it's not straightened out in your head. You're just the ducking one. And I would just say, if you're, if you're, if you to do following yeah, me, then, for these teachings teaching today, just renew your mind on that, so you can engage. You, you do work, you've got a job, the slightest thing you'll ring up to. So. Or the slightest thing you'll do, or the way you work. The whole chapter is like in Ephesians, but it's kind of like, fundamentally, you know, you welcome people to watching. There's a whole thing on that, so we'll, we'll get there, but that, that's really, really not good, because it lacks sincerity. And uh, it's important way we stay forward. People are, you know, we're always working on it. All, you know, none of us are perfect, but trying to be straightforward is really important. So, just have a moment for God to just reflect on this and just allow the And just allow the, the the gospel, the generosity of God towards us. Let's allow that to just freshly um, wash over us. Let's allow this abounding grace, the, this incredible. I mean, just singing that song about earlier, that refrain, all he's done for us, you just think, I have got no right to be here. Cleansed, forgiven, part of God's family. You know, um, I've, just got, I've got no right to be here. I feel like an absolute fraud. So much of the time, I just feel, Jesus, you know, how did, how did I end up here? And it's just his mercy and his grace really, as I was walking today, I was just reminded of this thought that you know, when mercy comes from God, we, we change. We, we, we're interested in the things of God after that. But actually, we've got to realise that He didn't show mercy on us because we were interested in the things of God. We weren't. were not we were interested in the things of God because He had mercy on us. And the Bible says it doesn't. It's not about man's effort or man's desire, but about God who has mercy. And if you, if you know Jesus in your life. God has shown you mercy. Otherwise, you would never have seen Jesus. You would not have followed. So I'm just taking my own time.